0: Names are important when you're a refugee immigrant, when you're an immigrant to this community, to this country, because you want to blend in, you want to be accepted, you want to make it easier for people to pronounce so they don't mess it up. So there's a lot of politics in names.
1: Being a refugee, the refugee experience is, look, I didn't want to leave my country, but I have to. Our family wasn't searching for the American dream. We were just escaping.
2: Those were the voices of Vera Dugmani Cage, and Suvan Malice Lung. As children, both Suvan and Vera came to this country as refugees from Southeast Asia, Suvan from Cambodia, and Vera from Laos. Hi, I'm John Vosey, executive producer of Words in Transit. This podcast is a project of New England Public Radio and is being offered in conjunction with the release of a book of the same name, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. Our goal was to bring the national conversation on immigration home to our community here in western Massachusetts and to shift the focus about immigration from government policies to stories of individuals that have settled in the United States from around the world. Words in Transit has collected interviews from individuals that have traveled here from Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and Latin America. Here's Tema Silk, the managing director of Words in Transit, to tell us more about Vera and Suvan. The aftershocks
3: of Sovan Malise's and Vera's traumatic departures from their respective motherlands have never fully ceased. Sovan Malise Long was two, or possibly three years old, she'll likely never know, when she escaped Cambodia with her mother. Over the years, Sovan Malise's mother resisted supplying her children with details about their life in Cambodia or the following years in several refugee camps. Their story was too painful for her mother to easily revisit. Sovan Malice knows, for instance, that her father died as they were leaving, but she does not know how he died, and she may never learn that information. Savan Malice feels it's important to distinguish between immigrants who come here by choice and those, like her, who are what she refers to as refugee immigrants, people forced to escape in order to survive. Here's Savan Malice.
1: I can only speak to what I was told, not to what I can remember. My mother... Hadn't really told as much, um, you know, and that's and that was very normal for our parents that had come from Cambodia of the war torn genocide that happened to not really speak on that experience. It's too painful. Let's not remember that. It's too painful. What I do know is basically of of, of stories from you know them talking them meaning my mom and her friends talking about how it was. So not necessarily connecting with me, but also just kind of rem- reminiscing of how it was for them. Your mother, while we were escaping Cambodia, she was carrying you as she was pregnant, and she fell down the ditch, and somehow she crawled up with you in her belly, and she was, like, really determined to to be with us and continue on this journey of, you know, leaving Cambodia. And that, to me, was very touching, was very, like, oh, my God, you know, this woman didn't let that deter her from leaving Cambodia, and not from the will that she wants to leave, but from the will that she has to for the safety of her kids. So that was, a, a you know, one indication that, that she was very strong. We went from Cambodia to the Thai borders where the refugee camps were, and we stayed there for, I'm not really quite sure how long, probably a year, but we stayed there for some time, and then we transitioned to the Philippines and then to Long Beach, California. It was normal for the refugees to be in another place first before they arrived to the United States. I was part of a, of a community that um, spoke, you know, Cambodian at, at the house and also English outside of the house. So we lived in an apartment complex where most of us were Cambodian refugees. Our first home was, it was in an apartment And we lived with my uncle and his family in a one or two bedroom household. Everybody slept on the floor. (laughs) And that was that was fine. You know, no complaints. Hey, we're, you know, in, in a place where, you know, we we get to be with each other. We were used to sleeping on the floors anyways. We had clothes. And this is not to say that we didn't have clothes back in Cambodia, but it was just a transition of, okay, this is something new for us. So we were happy. With new things, if it, even if it was used, so I just remember having to go looking for cans, aluminum cans for recycling, to uh, deposit them, and thinking to myself, "Wow, okay, this is this is okay. You know, this is a way that people can make money." Having the feeling of being American wasn't really on my thoughts; it was just another place to stay for me because I had some disconnect with the country of Cambodia, because I didn't remember that. We just never really talked about it much. We moved back and forth from when we got to California. We moved from California to Massachusetts. And the the piece of having to assimilate didn't allow me to think about why is it that we left. But I do just remember having the differences in um, you know, having the language, Cambodian language spoken at home uh, versus English outside and, and in school. The connection is important to me because I feel that knowing, you know, where you came from, the history is very much important to be able to to, to identify how you are with yourself. Not just only with yourself, but also to others. Our family wasn't searching for the American dream we were just escaping, you know, our country. I think there has to be a, a solid definition about the difference between immigration as well as uh, being a refugee, where um, there's a push and pull factor of America, the, excuse me, the United States being a, you know, pull factor of the American dream, having the American dream, whereas the, being a refugee, the refugee experience is: look, I didn't want, I didn't want to leave my country, but I have to because of war, because of whatever that is. So there's a push factor. The difference between the two has to be noted somewhere. That was Sovan Malise Long.
3: Vera Duongmani Cage was four the night her mother told her to be silent, lest they be shot crossing the Mekong River from Laos to a refugee camp in Thailand. After a year of living in squalid conditions, Vera and her family obtained visas and settled in Massachusetts. It's still painful for Vera to recall episodes of discrimination she experienced in elementary school here. Memories of leaving, of prejudice experienced here in this country, of hardships her family endured while adapting to American culture, all inform her present-day advocacy work. Here's Vera's story.
0: Names are important when you're a refugee immigrant, when you're an immigrant to this community, to this country, because... You want to blend in, you want to be accepted, you want to make it easier for people to pronounce so they don't mess it up. So there's a lot of politics and names. I came here to the United States in 1980. We were living in a room in Brookline, Massachusetts. It was a resettlement house, a refugee resettlement house and my parents and four other siblings shared a mattress in this in this room in this big house and i remember being in brookline and seeing the apple trees in the front yards of people's homes and i thought that was so great because i remember fruit trees in laos you know as a child and it was a new experience of seeing big homes and and walking on sidewalks and seeing things that were just enormous in my eyes, and absorbing the new environment that I found myself in. In Laos, I remember my dad coming home, and I would greet him by opening our gate, our metal gate, and he would come in with his scooter, and he would pick me up, and and we would ride into the front yard. I would be with him on his scooter um, doing that, and he would greet me with a brown paper bag full of whatever fruit he found or bought along the way. Um, and so I look forward to my dad coming home each afternoon. I remember that we had lots of chicken. We had a chicken coop, and each morning, I would go and go check on to see if we had any eggs, and I would bring some back to my mom. And I remember in the morning, having fried eggs to eat and with the sticky rice and the fish sauce. And I remember the plane ride to the United States and I remember the uh, the plastic bag that we had. I think it was just one bag and it was had the big letters ICM on it. And we carried um, with us whatever we were able to bring on that plane ride. And I just remember things being all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, we had to pack up and and prepare to to board this plane, right? I remember being in the Thai refugee camps. I remember my cousins, my dad gathering all of us and saying that we finally got accepted. (laughs) I remember starting kindergarten, I remember those early, you know, first, second, third grades of not really um, understanding that I was picking up a new language. I just was a student, you know, amongst my peers, and I was just listening a lot, being quiet a lot. And and part of the reason why I was a quiet child, a quiet person in the classroom, um, was because I believe my mom impressed upon me the importance of being quiet. And this is when we had journeyed, made our way of escaping Laos. I remember boarding a bus, a very crowded bus, and she packed up hot sticky rice in a bamboo container and rice vessel. And I remember the beef jerky, the dried beef jerky that she packed up for us. And it was my mother, it was my little brother who was about two years younger than than me at the time and it was me. And we finally ended up in a remote place, a place I I was not familiar with at all. We were at this person's house that lived by like a creek or a river, and they made us shampoo using different herbs and and, and natural products and, and fruit and whatnot and citrus and and we use it to, to wash our hair in this creek where we had to walk down. And it, it just was beautiful to me. And um it was a really nice moment of of bathing in that water. I remember the water being very clear. I remember the rocks. I remember it being sunny and warm. And then later on that night, my mom told me to be quiet because they were soldiers banks of the river, and that they were they had guns and they were ready to shoot if they heard or saw us. And so I stayed quiet, I didn't cry, and we managed our way across the river, and I remember being dragged and being told that I was dragged through lots of thorny brushes, you know, um, before ending up in at a safe house. My legs. My mom told me were all scratched up and bloodied because she had to drag me and probably carried my little brother. I believe the next morning, I remember my mom holding my hand, and we walked by this lot, and it had you know soldiers you know camping and, and cooking, and my mom nonchalantly said hello, and as we walked past by them. And she was my, she was the first actress, you know, (laughs) I knew she was acting, I knew she was playing it cool, even as a young person, I I sensed that. So my dad had a couple of luggages, I think two luggages. When we were at the camps, it it contained um, photos, family photos, and probably other things. And I remember there was a big fire, and he had put it, put the suitcases in a in like a, a barrel that we use to store water. And the fire just consumed it. So we lost a lot of <laughs> pictures. So I definitely claim my red, white, and blue stripes, right? I definitely claim that, especially in places where I get denied that or that is rejected, or I'm not seen as American enough, or a real American, or a true American. I'm talking about racism. I'm talking about xenophobia. I'm talking about being scapegoated. I'm talking about being rejected. You know, I remember starting first grade, coming off that yellow school bus for the first day in Shawshin Elementary School, and this kid Who's from an older grade comes walking up to me and calls me chink" in my ear, and I didn't know what that was or what that word was, and he did it again the following day, and I knew to avoid him by then because it didn't make me feel good, and he was doing it in such a sort of um hostile way, and you can sense that as a young child and that was a white boy, you know, and then when I started the end the half the rest of the, my fourth grade in Dorchester at the William E. Russell, you know, a black kid did that to me, you know, (laughs) and it was like, you know, stunning, you know, it gives you pause, right? And that was the environment that I grew up in, you know, and sometimes it was about just being safe. Sometimes it was avoiding injury and harm, verbal or physical. And so when you see your neighbor, El Salvadorian families and their little kids and having to go through the public schools and and having to to also try to adapt and to blend in and to survive and to succeed and and to struggle it reminds you of your own experience and the hardships your parents faced, you know When they don't know the language very well, when they don't know how to navigate the system very well, when they don't know how to negotiate very well, when they're constantly sort of taken advantage of. And so to see the economic struggle, to see the struggle in school, it inspires me to sort of use what I know and my own experience for education, for awareness. So that's how I'm I'm dealing with my past.
2: That was Vera Dungmani Cage and her story as a refugee from Laos In Suvan Malise Lung and her story of leaving Cambodia. To see photographs of Vera and Suvan and to hear all of the Words in Transit interviews, visit our website at nepr.net, where you can also learn about upcoming Words in Transit events. To see additional photographs and to read transcripts of all of our interviews, see the Words in Transit book available from the University of Massachusetts Press. Proceeds from the sale of the book benefit the Words in Transit Immigrant Scholarship Fund at Holyoke Community College. You can also find information about all of NEPR's podcasts at nepr.net or on iTunes. Next time on Words in Transit, survival. Twas at night, the gunshot started, people were screaming bullets are being all over, the gunshots are all all over. We can see the enemies and I took direction to Congo with uh, other people who were running for their lives of the safety. Stories of a father and daughter fleeing from the Congo and the harrowing account of another's escape from Burundi. That's next time on Words in Transit. The managing director of Words in Transit is Tema Silk. The producer is Kathleen O'Keefe and we had help on this podcast from Sara Redigieri. I'm John Vosey. Thank you for listening. Words in Transit is a production of New England Public Radio in collaboration with the Copeland Colloquium at Amherst College.